everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Disc Coverers, the uh, podcast that aims to read, uh, review, and rate every single novel in Terry Pratchett's Discworld comic fantasy novel series. Uh, I am Iris J., um, cartoonist, uh, internet personality, and... Um, the warrior of the wind. <laughs> With me are my effervescent co-hosts. Uh, if y'all want to introduce yourselves, starting with, we could go alphabetical order. Um, Belina? Well, well, I am still Belina. I am still just kind of here. That's all, all that I really think can be expected well, of me tonight. You read the book, so good enough. And June? Does J come before G? Oh my god, you're right! <laughs> J! Ha! <Huh? laughs> G comes before J. Well, technically, you're Princess Grace <laughs> uh, here. So that's well, if she's a princess, she should have come first anyway, so... Oh, that's yeah, fair. Yeah, Grace? Fair. How dare you, you ahead, peasants? Grace. I will remember this. Uh, I am the internet's beloved Princess Grace, uh, lady of the flame, and inventor of sex, the quarter, and matches. Wow, thanks it. for inventing sex and quarters. Every time you fuck, I get a quarter. And every time you get a, and every time you get a quarter, I get a nickel. Wow! Dang, yeah, it's a good uh, racket. It's a pretty good exchange rate. Yeah. I was more worried that every time someone else yeah. got a quarter, you got a sex. <laughs> I mean, that's not bad either. You get well, tired though. I mean, I do have like a, like a bed of quarters laid out on the bed like rose petals whenever I do have sex. That sounds incredibly uncomfortable, <laughs> unless you're a dragon. It is. It is. But it's quite the set piece. That 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 sounds like the only people who could fuck there are uh, Scrooge McDuck or like a dragon. I mean, most of us are on a dragon kick right now, anyways. So. I have the two genders. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. That's fair. <sighs> anyways, I'm I'm Junebug. I'm wonderful. I've never invented anything, and I don't have uh, any domain over anything. Uh, but I am wonderful and perfect in every way. You're a goddess. That counts. What are you goddess of? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the day. <laughs> gonna get off. Whatever, whatever. No one else is picking up usually. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, cool. No, yeah. If no one's watching anything, you can just pick up and pick it up and be in charge of it. That's why mm. I'm a princess. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of go for whatever's like. Whatever's hanging around. I didn't actually check today, so I don't know what I'm gonna yeah. Okay. It'll be a nice cool. surprise. Put, yeah, just put the wheel of domains up on the fridge just to see who's in charge of what this week. Exactly. It's like it's like a chore chart, but for like war. Yeah. Oh tight. I'm the Earl of Dot Org. <laughs> uh, uh can can you fill in for uh can you fill in for dogs today? We we need someone to fill in for dogs. Nice. And the internet. Ah. Uh. So yeah, we read a book this month. Um, Damn right. It was a Discworld book. Last month we covered uh, Terry Pratchett's debut novel published in 1983, uh, The Color of Magic. Was it his uh, first novel or just his first Discworld novel? N- no, he had done novels before that, but I believe they were more sci-fi oriented before that. Um, this was his first take on fantasy. And apparently he liked it because he kept making them. Um the book we're covering today is The Light Fantastic. It's the second one in the series. And uh, it was published three years later uh, on the 2nd of June, 1986. People had to wait three years to find out what happened to Rincewind. 
Yeah, and that's such a cliffhanger. Well, no, he he had already fallen off the cliff. That's like one of the longest breaks in Discworld. Yeah, that is the longest break in any set of Discworld books. Like, The Light Fantastic came out in 1986, and from then on, it's just... What a year, practically. Every year to a year. Dude was a machine. Yeah. As he got older, he slowed down a bit for reasons, but uh, that we'll get into eventually, mm-hmm. and it won't be fun. But, uh, like... He never went through, like, there was always no more than two years after that point. During Pratchett Prime, he was, like, cranking them out. Yeah. He put out three books in 2001. Jeez Louise, that's right. As far as I can remember, they were pretty good books, too. Like, they didn't, like, dip. Yeah, no, that was a Thief of Time. Thief of Time, yeah. And Amazing Maurice. Yeah, I loved Thief of Time. I haven't read The Last Hero, so that'll be interesting. Oh, I got a hard yeah. copy of that up here, actually. Ooh, Ooh swanky. Fun. Oh, I can't wait till we get to the ones that I have copies of, that I can just pull down the book off my shelf and read. Nice. Yeah, like I was mentioning over the call, like, I've been getting cheap paperback copies off of Ada Libris so that I can, like, fill the margins with, like, uh, ballpoint pen notes and little post-it notes and that's my note-taking uh, technique is I just have a million post-it notes in this book now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds so useful. Like I said, I have to try it's that. cool. I don't know. It's it's not everybody's thing, but I it works for my messed up brain. So The thing that works for me is, you know, as I have learned from doing another podcast where I have to do watch a thing and take notes, I have step stenographer's mm-hmm. pads. And for this book, I had nine pages and change of notes on what happened in the book which is holy shit mind you that's a lot compared to uh the color of magic which got like maybe two pages now i got like a page and a half which is less than your average episode of warehouse 13 gets these days so oh geez we should we should talk about that real quick it seems like we all enjoyed this book yeah it was a lot better yes it, it was <laughs> significantly yeah the, the the three years helped apparently it definitely it's not quite there like half of the notes that i took were just weird little niggling things that would later he would later change in other ways but this was much closer to what everybody remembers when they think about pratchett mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it's it feels more done and also it feels significantly in many ways like kind of a second draft of the first book like, there are a lot of things in it that sort of rhyme with stuff that happens in the first book. Yeah, that's also, especially early on, this really feels like you could very easily have ripped out the Wormberg, you could have ripped out most of the Sending of the Eight, and just made one big book out of out of the two. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, we'll, I mean, we'll get it when we cover there, but it, we probably would have been better off if there hadn't already been run in the previous book, for instance. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's another barbarian in this one, and also there's, like, Aqua Pork burned down in the last book, but here it's it's fine. I don't think they ever mentioned that, like, oh, yeah, they, they rebuilt they it, I guess. They did, actually. They, <laughs> they did. Do, they do mention that. Right. They do. It's, it's yeah. just, this happens all the time. And even in The Color of Magic, they were like, yeah, no, this happens all the time. They'll be <laughs> rebuilding stuff in the morning. There's a throwaway joke about them rebuilding the city out of uh, the time-honored intestine materials of uh, tar paper and dry thatch, where it's like, oh, they're building a giant max box of a city. That's the joke. <laughs> yeah, this just keeps happening. It's This is this actually isn't too far down the line, but it's mentioned at some point that Ankhmore Pork is basically built on the ruins of Ankhmore Pork, where like, the whole city is just slowly sinking, and they just keep <laughs> building more city on top of it. Because the whole thing breaks down and burns down so often, who fucking cares? 
I mean, speaking as a Seattle resident, I feel a certain kinship with that uh, approach to city planning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since that's basically what happened here exactly. Um, <sighs> but yeah, it's a, it's definitely a... It's a more refined work. It has... It's trying more to feel like it's a book. Like, there's still moments where it feels like it's uh, being more envisioned as a screenplay or something. But it definitely feels more book-shaped. Um, there's so much more wordplay in this one. And yeah. so much more very this Pratchett humor. Especially early Pratchett humor, where mm-hmm. it's just like... Like, just so many bits that are just build up to something fantasy and then, no, haha, it's actually just something very normal, mm-hmm. which is very Pratchett or, humor. I, I want to save most of this for when we really get going here and we start getting into this to the play-by-play stuff, but mm-hmm. there's actually some very good physical comedy this time around. Yeah. 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 It's a little bit more... Uh taught instead of uh being just kind of like okay and then Rinswin goes here and then he does this and then this happens etc etc there's a villain yeah Yeah. how wild is that and we get a little bit more of a look into like stuff that's going on outside of like whatever the hell Rinswin and two flower are doing Mm -hmm. yeah there are b plots Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah, are you getting tired of this shitty wizard? Good news. We have some other shittier wizards. <laughs> Once we're done with them, you're going to wish you were reading about Rinswin. It's great. Yeah, do we want to get into the play by play synopsis? Don't I have cool. a bunch of beats yeah. written down? Nice. Oh, hell yeah. Similar to the last book, this one basically picks up immediately where it left off. Um, except now there are stakes. We have invented stakes in a book um, with the arrival of uh, the whole, as as you may have guessed by our uh, podcast cover art, the whole uh, of the disc world is a disc on top of four elephants on top of a turtle that's floating through space, except now it's actually heading somewhere. And that somewhere appears to be like a gigantic like red dwarf star that is threatening to swallow it up. And that would be bad. Mm-hmm. So it kind of we kind of start with the B plot uh, yeah. back in Unseen University while Rincewind is like off. Well, yeah, Rincewind is still in the process of falling yeah. when the first yeah. when the first yeah. scenes happen. Yeah, we start and, with a, a description of sunrise on the disc. Then the book goes back and forth, and it even includes a discussion of a Tuan's pronouns. Oh yeah. We get into that a little bit. Where it goes back and forth between he and she, and then eventually calls it to an it for the rest of the book. Nobody just tried to ask them. Sheesh. <laughs> well, they did. No, no, no. That explicitly comes up much later in the book. People have tried to ask, and there's a very good reason why they, the, the two and never really answered anybody. Oh, no, you're right. Be- because, because this isn't plot critical, I don't feel bad about just saying it now. Yeah, just go for it. It's, it's that Etuan's mind is so big because you know it's got the brain the size of a continent etc the problem is Mm -hmm. that means it's massive it's slow people have been listening to its thoughts for the last 20 years and all they can really sort of glean is that it's looking forward to something yeah (laughs) i i I will also say about the opening it's a very pratchett opening like this isn't really a pratchett thing but just almost all discworld books start like this Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm instead of it being here's the main character just doing a cold open with here's the world here's some weird stakes thing here's like a threat that's going to become apparent later mm. something something that isn't half doesn't have to do with the main character but has to do with the plot yeah. talking about the weird way like, that like 
the magic on the disc makes light move slower, and so sunlight pours across it like molten gold. And then the whole thing with the wizards there. Like, that's how basically every Discworld book starts in my memory, is with, like, here is a thing about the cosmology of Discworld that will become immediately important because you're going to have to care about it because it's going to be what the main character has to deal with. Or here's a thing about religion, or here's a thing about vampires or something nothing else pratchett absolutely adores writing about what sunset what sunrise looks like on the disc world yeah, he doesn't like I mean, three he, times he does it like he four does. or five times in this book alone yeah. and it's like nearly every book he talks about it and it's just it sounds so beautiful i can't really fault him yeah it sounds really cool no it's it's just it's just something you're going to get used to because he's going to do it at least once every single yeah. book mm-hmm. which you know I get it. You come up with a really good piece of world building. You want to keep going back to it. Yeah. I mean, think about how many times people on the disc have seen the sunrise. We're we're yeah. we're seeing it once a book. That makes sense for us. <laughs> Give us yeah. a little time to admire it. Yeah. Um, I did love the note uh, inside of this section on uh, it's page twelve in my copy. There's a little side bit that actually comes up as a recurring gag later in the book about um, Olaf Quimby the second, uh, Patrician of Ankh who uh, introduced legis- it was it uh some legislation was passed in a determined attempt to put a stop to this sort of thing and introduce some honesty into reporting thus if a legend said of a noble hero that all men spoke of his prowess any bard who valued his life would add hastily except for a couple of people in his home village who thought he was a liar and quite a lot of other people who had never heard of him Poetic simile was strictly limited to statements like, His mighty steed was as fleet as the wind on a fairly calm day, say about Force 3. And any loose talk about a beloved having a face that launched a thousand ships would have to be backed by evidence that the object of desire did indeed look like a bottle of champagne. Um, <laughs> so there's uh-huh. there's plenty of instances where like there's like metaphor use, and then the text backs up and like describes it in a much more deadpan, literal sort of way, which I thought was adorable. It's a really good running gag. There's a whole thing I wrote down about how, you know, the sun, the sunrise on the disc poured across it like molten gold. But actually, the people in the way were no longer weren't actually becoming very rich and then very dead. Trees weren't catching fire, so a more apt simile would be it rolls it rolled across the disc not like molten gold. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> this particular wordplay of doing something bright and bright and cheery and just beautiful sounding and then immediately back him going oh wait no i'm sorry that isn't how it works at all is something that will continue for the rest of the series this is absolutely yeah. a hallmark of how pratchett wrote thank mm-hmm. god it, it was very much and i feel like this is something that kind of you could argue discworld is about in a way finding that contrast between like here is high fantasy over the top heroism heroes and magic and stuff and like here's a reality mm-hmm. and it's not in the same way that you do it with other things where it's like oh well we're gonna make it edgy like there's a lot of fantasy that goes like oh what if we made it dark and real but does pratchett is mostly concerned with like okay but well where do they go to the bathroom that's <laughs> something you have to think about sometimes where, things where are just shitty and boring yeah, th- yeah. yeah this is kind of i guess i'm going on a weird tangent here but it, it is impossible to talk about Discworld without people bringing up Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide series. And really, mm-hmm. the biggest similarity between the two is the fact that Hitchhiker's Guide was about an absolutely shitty, mismanaged universe. And mm-hmm. the, the book just keeps bouncing back and forth. Like, its annotations are always about how boring and dumb and broken everything is. And 
that's kind of sort of what you end up with a lot of Discworld stuff is because every time someone gets a little bit too optimistic or gets a little bit too rosy eyed, then we take a second, go, wait, no, this is this is still kind of dumb don't get too full of yourself Mm -hmm. that again that is a big part of what discworld writing is like and making that not making that continue to be fun making that continue to be fun to read that's the real skill that goes into making this stuff yeah Yeah. i was going to say we'll uh, get to that eventually (laughs) what could possibly cause anybody to be uh cynical and uh hard-eyed and pragmatic from living in england in the 1980s Ah, God. <laughs> I, 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 I am genuinely excited to talk about these things, especially with the later books, because how he tries to talk like that and do that sort of what if fantasy was real sort of like what if the world sucked as much as our world does, mm. but then not have it be just really like it is hard to read. Uh, I guess I'd say I guess I'd say that. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and Discworld come to very different conclusions of what to do mm-hmm. with that info. Yeah. The universe is a big joke and nothing like, matters. Hitchhiker's Guide is like, it ends bleakly. It ends like nihilistically. Mm, Whereas yeah. Discworld is a lot more like, it. it's more of a positive and a very humanist sort of way where it wants you to appreciate the people around you and the hard work that they do and all the other stuff uh more so than like the whiz bang razzmatazz uh set dressing i guess i mean yeah yeah it's i almost hate to look at it this way but for all of it all of his everything else two flowers not wrong when it really comes down to it stuff will eventually work out because somehow or another people are more decent than they are wretched it's a narrow balance but it's there it things do improve as time goes by. Two Flower's error isn't looking on the bright side of things. It's that he, Two Flower often just like assumes things will work out in his favor and doesn't take steps to improve them Mm -hmm. as often as he should. He's a lot more of a watcher than a doer until the end of this book. And that seems to be kind of his little character growth moment. Oh yeah, he actually has a character growth this time around. He's a tourist after all. His Mm -hmm. job is to go places and look at things. Yeah, I think that's definitely something, and I think in a way you could say that that's something that kind of matures over matures as time goes on, going from just like things will work out eventually. You just have to like people are decent to actually exploring what makes people decent and why they do these things and why we can fight for a better world. But that's talking mm-hmm. about much future books, like way out there. Oh yeah. yeah. As much as I'm... I love Monsters Regiment, I don't want it to be like every single a podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not even on my th- Let's at least yeah. get get introduced to Vimes before we go too far into this. We'll oh, get there. Yeah. Oh. I'm not even on my third note yet. Yeah. Let's keep going. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. So uh, we get like a recap of what happened at the end of the last book, specifically about Rincewind and Two Flower, and I think Run. No, getting... yeah, I don't think it we was, hear from about Run was... again. Oh no, Run retired and lives off on the Wormberg or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it was who, the sea trolls. Yeah. yeah. That's... Anyways, it end. The last book ended with you know y'all presumably heard the podcast episode Rincewind and Two Flower and someone we I presumably don't hear back from again. Uh, hurtled off the side of the disc in a spaceship uh, to try and figure out what a Tuan has in their pants, uh, proving that there is such a thing as a free launch. 
But um, Tish. Uh, Ayo. There were some really good jokes in this Christ. one. There were a couple times while reading this book when I had to put my Kindle down and say, Jesus Christ, fuck you, out loud after a big sigh. It's some dad jokes. There's some jokes it's of really dad. Good. These jokes are uh, old enough to be dads. Oh my god, you're right. Then we go to the Unseen University, where a bunch of wi- a bunch of shitty wizards are... Well, and there's some stuff where, um... Basically, Rincewind falls off, and the big dick fancy pants spell in his head teleports him and Two Flower back onto land, because, Not um, quite. Hmm? Okay, so what happens here is Rincewind, Two Flower, and the sea troll, whose name I forget and I feel bad about that, all go Tethys. over the edge. Tethys. I should have... Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, right, 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 right. That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyways... So they go over the edge. We cut back to the Unseen University where the Octavo, the book that contains the eight minus one great spells that presumably created the world. Nobody's really sure because it's one of those books that's too old for that sort of thing. It's the creator's grimoire. Yeah. They are big, big old important spells. It is the big dick magic book. You're right on that. It suddenly gets restless. All, Mm -hmm. All of the wizards of any import get up. They go down to the basement. They go, what the hell is going on here? When just this explosion comes out of the book. It just yeah. starts sending this enormous quantity of magic up through the floor, up through the ceilings. And this is actually the first bit of really good physical comedy as Galder Weatherwax, the at the time, cha- the chancellor of the Unseen University, just immediately just, just charges everybody up the stairs. They go see, and oh, no, the, the spell's gone even further. There's a bit there that I want to catch that it mentions that, you know, wild magic does wild things. And that, you know, the I can't remember what it said that turned the bricks to, but it mentioned the books that it passed through were changed into pineapple flavored custard. And so the the wizards continue to charge up higher and higher till they get to the actually get to the level. And it makes some crack about the breath of the wizards smelling of pineapple. Just the implication that, yes, of course they know it was pineapple-flavored because they ate it. (laughs) As they were were falling over one another in their eagerness to be last, and um, there's there's a really good line in here about how they were slightly foxed, badgered, wolved, and possibly bared. It's a good bit. Also, we have have it passing through the library. Yeah! Turns the uh, librarian into an orangutan. Yep. Don't think that Pratchett quite realized how big orangutans are quite yet, because he described the librarian as small, and this is probably the last time that's ever going to happen. Yeah, no, he's portrayed as, like, a big, terrifying ape in later books. Um, Out of this book, he seems kind of dejected, but I'm pretty sure it starts in, like, Equal Rights and goes on from there, where, like, he's, like, psyched. He's really pumped to be an orangutan, because it, like... An orangutan is actually the ideal shape for a librarian to be, oddly enough. Plus, Most spoilers for the rest of the books, Grace. The, the librarian sticks around. Oh, I know. I, I've read enough TV tropes to know that. Also, okay. come on, folks. We've all, like, read TF fictions. We know how this goes. <laughs> orangutans oh, yes. don't have anxiety. Yeah, like, look, you're, oh, you know, you're surprised or whatever at first, but, like, eventually you realize that your new form rules. How terrible. And, like, everybody can understand what he's saying still, because it's one of those, like, cartoon things where he only speaks in monkey noises, but everybody's like, oh, yeah, of course, intelligible speech. Yes, cool. Yeah. I think the only people that ever seem to understand him are wizards. 
so it might just be like octarine where it's just something that you can pick up i how exactly a mm. wizard actually can see magic is is kind of wobbly throughout the series but did they mention you know, in this was it this book or last book where they mentioned that wizards are like a separate species they have a separate organ or something or whatever I think no, they have the, the octagons in their eyes, but yeah. the, how those octagons get there is kind of questionable. Like sorcery will sort of briefly touch on how a kind of powerful wizard can be born, but mm. where exactly these octagons come from is up in the air. It reminded me a lot of, um, there's a manga series called Doro Hey Doro, where there are sorcerers ah. in the world and their magic powers come from smoke that emanates inside of their bodies that germinates from a tiny devil like a little like a little man living uh inside of their on the inside of their eye socket like a tumor and that's where all the magic comes from it's weird they're like a separate species yeah, yeah. Like, you know sorcerers are like they live in a different place they're like a, literally a different species from the people who live in whole mm-hmm. and they use people from whole for target practice because it's a very class society yeah. unlike unseen university where it seems like it seems like most other folks in Egg Morpork uh, kind of just leave them be. Uh, they're just like more trouble to bother. Because, yeah, yeah, because they're they're, you know, as we were talking about earlier, magic in the disc world is kind of shitty. Like <laughs> wherever it's described, it's really it's made very clear that it's not really worth it. Like mm-hmm. if you're a wizard, like you know, you not only do you have to like study for ages to like do a spell and then it's gone, you like. It's a very cutthroat profession, literally. Like, the best, the really, the only way you become like a higher class of wizard is by killing your boss. Mm-hmm. And also, wizard smoke. Every wizard smokes. They, they're wizard all in- smokes, as, as everyone knows. They're constantly smoking all the time, just like yeah. Gandalf. Ugh, they, I, that's sort of the thing is that they're all like shitty university professors. This is yeah, an yeah. old boys club. I mean, this this is intentionally trying to get this very specific kind of character that y- it's easy to picture them, but I'm not sure how well I can put them into words. Yeah. I'm sure it would be easier for our English listeners out there, as in from yeah. England. There are a bunch of tenured professors who have killed everybody about, above them and are desperately trying to make sure they themselves don't get killed back. I, I can't not notice like the times when the book is extremely British because it keeps talking about a dog end, which is what we Americans would call a cigarette butt. <laughs> yeah. But like, it, it, now that you mentioned like Gandalf, it's very funny to be like, these wizards, they don't smoke like fancy wizard pipes. They are explicitly smoking cigarettes all the time. <laughs> Yeah, like a pack of cools, menthol, like whatever. Yeah, they, every wizard is constantly chain smoking. I guess except for Rincewind because he's a kind of a shitty failed wizard. Mm. Right. It fits the aesthetic of the wizards in this, which yeah. they'll play with more eventually. But they kind of just like they kind of get this attitude, and you see this in the book uh, of just like the wizards are shitty academics who are doing their own thing and don't want to be bothered. And the people in the city don't want to bother them because it's more trouble than it's worth, and also they all suck. Well, yeah, they're, they're literally ivory tower academics. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they are people who will spend all of their waking hours desperately making sure that nobody makes them actually put in an honest day's work. Yeah. Yes. Like, this guy's life, yeah, like, we talked about a guy whose life's work is, like, building a room that will make, sh- that will, like, make him impervious to death. And then, of course, he forgets to put air holes in there. Okay, so the Octavo sends this ball of magic up. 
it gets to the Great Hall and then just sort of explodes in the sense that it just rapidly expands. It, you can see the entire universe inside this little projection bubbly thing. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps going and going. It expands past the past the borders of the Unseen University. They do one more to the roof. They they get up to the highest point in Ankh-Morpork and possibly the highest point in the on the disc outside of the place where the gods hang out and feud with the ice giants all day. Yeah, there's a whole undercurrent throughout this book where um, he calls them the quarrelsome and somewhat bourgeoisie gods. Uh, he, he remarks on like, oh, you, and as the universe expands, you can see like the mountain or whatever where all the gods live. And it's, he talks about what shitty taste they have because it's all marble columns and whatever. Yeah, it's like tacky. And throughout the whole Throughout the whole book, he, like, has these digs about how, like, well, the gods would have cared about this, but they're in the middle of, like, petitioning the ice giants to get their lawnmower back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just feuding in the most suburban nonsense yeah. way. Because, you know, what else are they going to do, apparently? It just, it makes sure that the gods have absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the, with the rest of this book. Yeah. So, they watch, they watch this projection spread out over the whole disc until it becomes a 1-1 replica. Then it just sort of vanishes. And you, well, what the hell happened? Well, we know that it obviously changed something, but we don't know what. So they, the Octavo just creates just creates this giant cosmic retcon. And now, suddenly, Two Flower, the Luggage, and Rincewind are in Scund Forest, which isn't too far away from Ankhmore Pork. And we never hear anything about what happened to the spaceship or Tevez, or we will never know what happened. Presumably, he just kept falling for a while. Maybe he got back home. Let's let's be optimistic for once. Yeah, Tethys died on the way back to his home planet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's a bold move to essentially go. uh, It's a bold move to essentially go. Yeah. uh, So the last book didn't make much sense. So uh, just retconning it all. Yep. Magic retcons the entire book. Which, like, at least makes sense in the context of it, but it's still a little, hmm. But I love it. Also, I, I think it's great. Yeah. This is also where we get the thing Iris was talking about with the um, so-and-so had made it illegal to be poetic, and I wrote that it seems like a weird dig at English libel law, which is fa- famously terrible to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I've heard. But also, I've heard that uh, English tabloids are some of the sleaziest publications on Earth, so yeah, like, I, get I get why it. they're there. Uh, I think this part was interesting because, um, and I'm sorry for holding up the uh, the progress of the, the podcast, but this is uh, another little Iris history corner. Um, it's a good corner. I just thought this was neat. Uh, they mentioned that we are in the Forest of Sca- Scald, I believe it Scund. was. Scund, yeah. So, literally, the book mentions that uh, in local uh, language, that translates to, your finger, you fool, and that there are other places nearby uh, called uh, Mount, Just a Mountain, I Don't Know, and What, uh, <laughs> which all are uh, basically uh, named by explorers coming to the area and asking the locals what that place was, or what... They point him, what, what's this called? And they're like, your finger, you fucking dumbass. Um, so this actually has uh, roots in a popular theory as to how the Yucatan Peninsula got its name. Uh, the small bit of Mexico that protrudes out into the uh, Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean. Um, so uh, 
The uh, 17th century Franciscan historian Diego Lopez de Cogolludo, um, one of the one of the big theories that a lot of people said for a long time that uh, the famous explorer Cordoba, Francisco Hernandez de Cordoba, um, first arriving to peninsula in 1517, uh, asked about what the name of the settlement he landed at was, and the response in uh, Yucatec Mayan was, "I don't understand," which in Nahuatl sounded like uh, like. Uh, Tziutan or possibly uh, Tectecan. Um, there's a couple different variations that it could have been. But apparently he heard this and thought, oh yeah, Yucatan. Name of the whole place. Awesome. Let's just call it that. Uh, and supposedly uh, by the time anybody got around to telling him what that actually meant, it was too late to change it because it just was like, I don't know what the fuck you're saying, my guy. <laughs> I mean... At least they tried. Yeah. At least they they asked someone who lived there, mm-hmm. which is more than I can say for we can say for a lot of things. Yeah. There are yeah. other theories that claim that the area got its name from uh, myths and like a mistranslated Nahuatl term that means place of richness. Uh, the jury's kind of out on this, but I just thought that was an interesting um, anecdote that I'm fairly sure inspired this. Joke in this book, as well as Makes maybe sense. some other sort of similar events of that happening. This, this is a uh, part one of Pratchett's long, long-standing series of trying to talk about how incredibly shitty England and colonialism is, while still being definitely a white English dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's and, so it, and it works here pretty well. It's a yeah. good yeah. bit. This, but frankly, this is one of my favorite. This is one of the more iconic patchet jokes as far as i'm aware it's just the idea of this place has a perfectly normal sounding name but actually it's some complete bullshit in some other language although i kind of wonder about any kind of language that has a five letter word for your finger you fool it's a it's a culture that uh values knowing where people's fingers are at all times it, I, guess, I guess it's possible that it's like a re- two really short words. One of his, one of them is just an insulting intes- intensifier for the other. Mm-hmm. But, and anyways, that that's that's a particularly way too fiddly detail. I'm sorry to cut you off earlier, June. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. So yeah. Meanwhile, back back in the story, our heroes find themselves in a dark wood. When what should they happen to find within this dark wood? A but a tree. Well, they do have trees, and these aren't. Four-dimensional hyper trees. They're just regular trees, except that they yeah, talk for some reason. It's really weird that, like, Rincewood is like, well, trees don't talk when, like, again, he did spend some time. I guess dryads aren't trees, like, but, like. Much like the dryads, I completely forgot these things, too. Come, my guy, come on. Yeah, he, he kind of ignores basically everything that happened in The Color of Magic, aside yeah. from some select things. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you could have just cut the, the entire Wurmberg and the Sending of Eight out, and just nobody would notice. Pretty much. But, yeah. So, so they gotta, they've got to go through another dark forest. This one enchanted in a completely different way, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one has a, a giant uh, house made of food. Gets a candy house. Get it? Like you know, from the the fairies' tales. So, while well, Rincewind is talking to the tree, there's another. There's some pretty good jokes in here. Well, you know, of course, trees can be bored. Beetles do it all the time. <laughs> but um, Tish. after Rin- after Rincewind remarks that like being a tree seems pretty boring. Yeah, the the, I, 
the fact that the trees apparently just continue talking to one another and there's actually jokes as far as like halfway through the book about the fact that the trees are just continuing to talk to one another even outside of that forest and developing religion off of this yeah it's 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 something that Pratchett like does and that honestly I think is a good bit of just taking a really small moment and spiraling it way out of control for comedy. Like Yeah. Okay, yeah, they're good. the trees are going to talk. Also, they're going to consider this an important moment. Also, they're going to continue to talk about it for a very long time. Also, these tiny comments about boredom are going to be deeply important to tree society. Anyways, that doesn't matter. Back to the story, <laughs> which is something that like he does a lot and it's a good bit. It's yeah. it's very funny. It's cool, uh, but yeah, they hold up yeah. in the they hold up in the candy house for a little while. Uh, there's no witch that lives there. I think it's she's kind of like dead. yeah, she's dead. But yeah, the the house just constantly regenerates itself, so it's always fresh candy. Um, and Two Flower seems excited about this. Uh, personally, reading this passage made my teeth hurt. Made rinse rinse teeth hurt too. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nasty. <laughs> Honestly. I, I, I thought it was like I, I enjoyed the fact that they both kind of reacted to it with, oh, this is this is interesting, I guess. Mm. It wasn't really like, haha, this is a normal thing, but isn't it weird? It's just like they're as surprised that this exists as everyone else yeah. is. Yeah. There's like a gnome who lives there and they're like, Hey, you know what you should do here is turn this into a tourist attraction. You can make some money off of this. Yeah. And two flowers being really really weirdly racist about gnomes, because like it's like, well, this isn't like it is in my Little Folk's Book of Flower Fairies. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Like, there's... It's weird that, like, fairy tales exist in some form or concept, but they are wildly inaccurate. And, yeah, like, like... I don't know. It's yeah. it's kind of like a stand-in for us, I guess. Because it's like... Yeah, Two Flowers feels like it's... Two Flower feels like he's supposed to be an audience surrogate for us. Mm-hmm. To be like, haha, you thought... The tooth fairy existed. Well, aren't you stupid? Here's what a real fairy yeah, looks like. No, did you? Of course. Did you notice course, they mentioned the tooth fairy in this book? By the way, yeah, that's one of yeah, the two yeah, notes I have, I have for I have this section notes about that. Yeah, like the. the oh, of course, the tooth fairy doesn't exist, but elves, those mas- those bastards will take your teeth right out of your head if you let them. Yeah. So uh, put a put a little uh, tie a little string around that comment about the tooth fairy and about the idea of a fortress made of teeth. Because it'll come into play again much, much later down the line. Yeah, about a year and a half from now. For other very specific reasons, I wrote that. I wrote down some notes on there. I do want to make just. I want to take this very brief moment to make one unfortunately complete macro trash comment here. Go for the, it. So the so the gnome was living in a mushroom house. The mm-hmm. gnome was explicitly said to be about six inches tall. Mm-hmm. How fucking big was that mushroom? Damn, that's, that's a big mushroom. Huh. That's yeah. That's a fucking huge mushroom. That's a big ass mushroom. Yeah. Wow. I mean, mushrooms can get that big though. Like mushrooms can be fucking huge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 can. But this is well the mushroom that Two Flower was suggesting that they eat. <laughs> if I saw a mushroom that big, my thought huh. wouldn't be, "What if I ate that?" It would be, "Damn, look at the size of that thing." This is just one of those stupid little things that. I only notice this because I have that particular kind of brain poison that makes me think about scale all the time. But I had to make everybody else notice it. Well, thank you oh, very thank much. You. I wouldn't have caught I'm that otherwise. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, meanwhile, back in Wizardville, they uh, summon death. Yeah, it doesn't go well. Yeah, it, goes, I, it goes about as well as every other time they try to perform the rite of Ashkante. Yeah, like, death is... 
pretty forthright, I guess. Also, we meet Tryman, who's a real business dick of a wizard. He's all about spreadsheets and Yeah, he's specifically like, he's like a yuppie wizard, which is wild. The- my my own notes here were sent, were pointing out a he has some very serious like grand vizier energy mm-hmm. like Pratt, Pratchett mm-hmm. is not is usually not very subtle with who the villain is you know who the bad guy is going to be the first time they show up on camera Trimon is yeah. one of those characters and mm-hmm. he's just aggressively bland he's not necessarily evil he's worse than evil mm-hmm. he's like yeah. weaponized gray yeah just like at the end of the book where it talks about like you know. Yeah, these are these aren't evil. They're not the opposite of good, and that's a really good speech that I have more notes about later. Mm-hmm. He's just, as you said, a boring business dick who wants power for its own sake and to pave paradise and put up a parking lot. Yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, this is something that I think like is interesting, and that I think the wizards kind of get back to is that they all suck. Yeah. But they're also all not really doing anything. They're just kind of sitting around and masturbating, except they don't masturbate. They cast spells because casturbating is better. Uh, yes. Yeah, casturbating. And like the idea that comes up a number of times is that like this sucks, but it's better than doing anything else with magic because all the other stuff just ruins everything. I mm-hmm. gotta admit, I actually really liked uh, Galder Weatherwax because he. He very much he look his heart was in it. He yeah. really did believe in what he was doing, and he he kept yeah. kind of getting deflated with the fact that all of his other compatriots are just really they're shitty wizards, but not in the way that Rincewind is a shitty wizard. They're just shitty yeah. and wizards. They're piece of shit wizards, yeah, which is different. Like, and there's a whole there's a whole uh, thing where like. Galder keeps trying to be like, oh, Death, I beseech you. And he's like trying to do everything all proper, like, and Death is just like, yeah, fuck, whatever. Like, what is it? Like, I have other shit to do. What do you want? And I'm on my way to a it, party. Or no, wait. Yeah. I'm he was on at my a party. way to a party. You know, I just realized that he he's like, I'm at a party. And then later in the, de- later in the book, we see Death and like... They're kind of all. It's kind of a little bit of a party. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I think that was meant to be a reference to the Mask of the Red Death by. Edgar oh Allen right, Poe. yeah, I forgot about the. I forgot. Yeah, no, that, that was like, definitely a reference. They're going to, the to expect me to take off my mask, but I won't yeah. because I'm a skeleton man. Because Bruh. because it's not a it's not a mask. It's my face. Face. <laughs> There's a little viral marketing for mm. Tight Pants, the Homestar Rudder Sex Podcast. Wow. Um, yeah, I was on the last episode. Go listen to it now. It's it's a really don't, good episode. Do that. I'll uh, plug it later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's certainly a thing. Anyways. Also, there's a good joke here about how if you have too many grimoires in one place, it can cause a critical black mass. <laughs> uh, oh, that's I, a I good love one. I bad jokes. Uh, yep. That's a good one. So they they summon death as, as much as Galder wants to make it this big, this big giant occasion. Unfortunately, all of the wizards are just yeah no. Why didn't you already do that? And even death is yeah. Uh, do, do you mind? He this is I, death has definitely changed immensely from when he showed up in the color of magic. I mean he kind of changed like by the time Rincewind went over the edge. He was already kind of the character that we tend to associate him with. Mm-hmm. But he's just kind of doing his job, and you know, he's he's just kind of here. It's not, it's he isn't no, he's not being spiteful. He's annoyed, but he just got pulled out of a party. Of course, he's annoyed. He's still a bit 
bitter or mean for what I would expect death to be here, but like it's definitely much closer to death. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's more like you a, were having fun at a party. It's more like a it's you caught me at a bad time sort of mean rather yeah. than a yeah. I'm going to kill you, Rincewind. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I get it. Like as a super villain who likes to monologue, I get it. If I don't get to say my speech, I get I get some super villain blue balls. I get it. Mm-hmm. So the only I, really important information that they get out of that they get out of death is confirming that yes, it was just a giant retcon just got cast. The we didn't want to, the grimoire of the octavo did not want to lose its last spell, which mm-hmm. you know that's going to be a running theme here, and that that all of the spells need to be cast on Hog's Watch night because that's when everything is going to. That's when this red sun thing is going to do whatever this red sun thing is going to do. Which, does that mean that this book is a Christmas movie? <laughs> yes. 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 This is our Christmas episode. It'll come out after Christmas, but this is our That's Christmas true. episode. That's true. It will actually come Merry out. Merry Christmas, yeah. everybody. So oh, I wanted to point oh, that oh. out because when we actually get to Hug Father, it'll be either June or July if we stick to our schedule. <laughs> hey, whatever. <laughs> it's all good in the hood. It's uh, no rules, this just right out back. Elements accounts. Yeah. So we'll just do a the, six month delay. How long? How bad can that be? Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah. So the okay, they also give one last thing where there's a he, death lets them know that the prophecy about why they need to be reading all this stuff out of the octavo is written on the inside of some pyramid of sort. And that's, like, the only lead that he gives them. Mm-hmm. Trimon was eavesdropping on this because, you know, he's a shitty business type. Rule, rules are made for him to make and not for him to obey. So, and, yeah. you know, he's a wizard. Nope, I don't think any of the faculty would really fault him for having eavesdrop because, obviously, he was able to eavesdrop. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Trimon, a system yeah. where, like... It's a system where all of them break the rules whenever they want, and it's not really an issue. The main difference is no one else is breaking them to do evil shit. They're just breaking them to be little fucks. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're, we're the big dick powerful wizards. Of course rules don't apply to us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you think they should, I dare you to stop me. Exactly. Yeah. The, the 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 problem is the reason the system works is because no one is with no one is doing what Trimon is doing, which is I'm going to break the rules to fuck things up and make yeah. things work for everyone, worse for everyone. Yeah. So Trimon gets the brilliant idea of he zips down to the library, bribes the librarian with some bananas, and obtains the only book in the entire library that that okay the only cataloged book in the library that contains information about this pyramid and he just kind of fucks off with it and escapes right before the actual before the rest of the wizards get down there because you know they're all old out of shape and three or four paces behind because the villain is always ahead of everybody else yeah there's actually a fun little joke in there about how um like trimon reads about the great pyramid of sort and it's supposed to be this amazing structure with all this mathematical precision and then he's like Seems like that's a lot of trouble to go through just to sharpen some razor blades. And like yeah, that is so uh, that is yeah. so specifically a joke that does not work in 2020 because nobody believes in pyramid power anymore. <laughs> oh, um, that's I mean, we're going to be getting a lot of those when we read the book simply entitled yeah. Pyramids. But it's yeah, so no, that fun. was very good, especially cuz like the the ratios and stuff had just 
were just all way off. They didn't mean anything. No, yeah. If you did the math, it's not actually how a pyramid is shaped, but like... Uh, it, no, but it, I mean the, the ones that he was reading off. Oh. Like, it, it's exactly 1,928.1365243 times the, the difference between the moon and a medium-sized orange. Oh, yeah, it's all, like, it's wacky a, shit. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just none of that makes any sense to anybody. Mm-hmm. But if you're into numerology and pyramid power and stuff, then it's like, ah, oh. the connections, there are too many for it to be a coincidence. They must ah. have known. <laughs> ah, the golden ratio, of course. I'm sad Sir Terry didn't live long enough to see the rise of the concept of ancient aliens really hit its stride in our culture, I feel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Anyways. Yeah. We're going to yeah. get sad a lot on this podcast. Yeah. It's yeah. going to happen. So we. I hope y'all are ready to start Sorry to be a mopey really, pants. Really sad. Do we <laughs> eh, want to talk about the druids next? I want to talk about the druids so much. Yeah, so, there's well, a there's first. A brief... There's a big fight scene. Yeah, we need to link that yeah. uh, link that together. Mm-hmm. All all of the wizards kind of scramble to find Rincewind. They they know that Rincewind has the last spell in his head, and they now know that it's super important, even if they don't know why. And more importantly, the wizards cannot work together. None of them can cooperate with one another for five goddamn minutes. So mm-hmm. they're just this loud, chaotic mess everywhere that they go. And they just got a whole bunch of plans that all collide against one another. They do track him down to the... They track him and Two Flower down to the gingerbread cottage. And a big fight breaks out and magic goes everywhere. Because of course it does. And the two of them escape by... They find the witch's old broomstick in a cupboard upstairs somewhere. Which thankfully enough actually still works and they technically escape they there's a bit there where the chancellor's plan to get rincewind back was not to go gallivanting after them gallivanting off after them it's that he just casts a spell that's going to create an arrow that's just going to hit rincewind and teleport him back to the to the unseen university which Mm -hmm. Would have made this book much shorter, but it probably wouldn't have gone as well. Just dumb luck happens because dumb luck is still on Rincewind's side, even if the lady doesn't get mentioned at all in this book. And just the twists and turns of trying to ride the broom causes the the luggage to get hit by the arrow instead. And despite the fact that the luggage is supposed to be completely impervious to all forms of magic, the luggage is teleported back to the, or the Chancellor's room, where it promptly kills Galder Weatherwax. Yeah, it falls right on the Yeah! Heart. God. R.I.P. Yep. to a real one. <laughs> yeah, too bad there are one ab- out. <laughs> too bad there are absolutely no other Weatherwaxes in the entire Discworld canon that we can worry about. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. It, I guess. It's such I, a good name, too, if only they I know. used it. Shame I, that never got used again. Like for I, another I, magical I, individual. This is, why oh, well. felt, this, is, this, is, this is why I thought it was important for me to say that I really liked galder weatherwax as a character because i because this fucking happened to him yeah poor guy it's it's after trimon tries to kill him like a couple times and he easily deflects trimon's attempts because he's used to other wizards trying underhanded shit to knock him off yeah there's a whole thing where um you know as he's trying to cast a spell there's a, a pretty good joke about how oh it was the sort of thing nomads and barbarians tell each other for step cred Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you know, Galder has like tuned squeaky floorboards outside his magical laboratories. So it's like, oh, it's a B flat. He's two steps away. 
or whatever. Which one is so cool? Like that's such it's a great a little detail. Good bit. And, yeah, and I gotta two, steal that for something. Yeah, definitely seems like a foreshadowing of some of the shit we get into with Lord Vetinari later about a guy who's so paranoid he's like tweaked his working environment to he, just the most specific standards. For, no, the, the, the worrying thing is people who have reason. It's not not even paranoid. It's just reasonable measures include mm-hmm. tuning his floorboard yeah. so he knows precisely where somebody yeah. stepped. Because. Yeah, because there's a whole thing where, like, Tryman is absolutely trying to kill this man. He, like, picks up a big kitchen knife, tries to stab Golder, and, of course, it flies out of his hand because, you know, he saw this shit coming. Mm-hmm. There's some joke about the slow speed of light. I forgot. I didn't write down what it was, and then... Uh, it was that he threw the dagger so... The dagger went flying so fast that it very briefly got considerably shorter and considerably heavier. That's it. <laughs> That's so cool. That's such a neat little detail. Sorry. And that's, that's just the knife. Yeah. The knife bit. then just kind of deflects yeah. and starts orbiting uh, Galder so fast that it starts looking like he's wearing a metal collar. And he just kind of <sighs>, laughs at Trivon. It's like, you, you got to get it. You don't have to just get up early in the morning. You better not go to sleep. Yeah, you yeah. better stay up all night, bud. Like, magic sucks in the Discworld, but also, that's pretty cool. Not going to lie. Yeah. Um, remember the way magic works in the disc world is in order to make shit like this happen it's basically all you do like all galder fucking does is like set shit like this up because if you are a wizard if you are galder weatherwax you know everyone every wizard beneath you wants you dead Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like i said it's the every wizard here will do everything in their power they will spend 23 hours a day making sure that nobody makes them actually work a day in their life yeah sounds exhausting i think after that we cut back to rinse wind and company yeah they yeah. land on yeah, there's the whole there's the whole fight and then they escape on a broomstick which runs into a cloud which has a druid on it yeah basically all the wizards fighting there's a whole thing where uh, there's a joke here about the trees start talking to them too and there's a whole conversation, but it ends. It the climax of it is how Pratchett mentions that the tree speaks with. It was impossible to place its voice, but it definitely spoke with the timber. Uh, oh god damn it! Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, that was the first god. time when I. I'm gonna dissolve. I'm glad you're having a good time, Grace. It is. It's fucking terrible, and I'm just glad I get to inflict all of these on you. Mm. Well, we're inflicting them on ourselves, but. Thank you for being the mouthpiece here for just destroying our bones. Remind us of all of these terrible jokes. Yeah. <sighs> so while while you're recovering from that, so the two the two of them kind of crash land into a cloud with rocks in it, which you know yep. that's just the way these things go. There's a druid on top of it. It turns out that the druid is piloting the rock inside of the cloud because he's convinced it to fly. Mm-hmm. And this just oh okay th- this. The druids here are this weird kind of hybrid of two different schools of magic that we will get into much later. So I'm not going to go too far into it, but it's just they straight up convinced this rock that it can fly, which, mm-hmm. you know, it it's pretty good how he manages to tell it well, because, I mean, it's a common enough joke in electronic circles that, you know, computers are just rocks that we tricked into thinking with lightning. We, we, mm. we try, we tricked, we tricked lightning and sand into thinking. There's so yeah. many more computer jokes in this book. 
Yeah, like, just wait till we get to the trolls. I know! It's wild! But So, the, the slab that this druid is piloting is supposed to be a replacement component for a giant computer in the sky, which is basically to say it's floating Stonehenge. I thought it wasn't in the sky. I thought it was on, on the ground. Yeah, I think it was just on the ground. It, yeah, it was on the ground. I it was just, it, uh, it, no, it was on the ground. Okay. It was a big, okay. uh, but it was very, they talk about it like it's like way bigger than Stonehenge is. Like it's a, it's a big complex piece of rock machinery. Yeah, it's um, a big old rock computer, like a yeah. like an ENIAC or something, where mm-hmm. you have to walk around inside it to work on. Yeah, and there's like a series of like arcane rituals that they have to tweak and adjust to uh, get the circle to spit out just the right result. And sometimes it doesn't do it because sometimes the conditions aren't right, or there's like a bug in the coding or whatever. And there's all yeah, these complaints about like how hard it is to get a new uh, a replacement part for it if one breaks. Uh, <laughs> There's, it's all computer nerd yeah, jokes. Yeah. It's all it really jokes. is. It's right down to the fact that he, the druids can't really explain why they're building this computer because it's one of those things that it seems blatantly obvious. To them, like, why wouldn't I be building this? But yeah. to somebody on the outside, when you suddenly have to explain what it's for, and they're just completely at a loss. Like, well, we can use it to tell what time the sun will come up in the morning. And, and we can use it to try to pre- predict the weather. And everyone's just like, you know, we've got like, and I got an almanac right here that'll tell us all mm. this. And the druids, yeah. of course, can't just say, "Well, how did they determine the stuff in the almanac?" They just kind of flounder because you know that's how this kind of joke goes, especially in the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's nineteen eighty six. Computers are big, impractical, temperamental things. Can you imagine you to... ever owning a computer? How ridiculous! <laughs> they have to be kept in a big air conditioned room. They're giant, they're noisy, they're full of nerds. <laughs> God, I, I miss mean, the living computer museum. God, me too, though, right? Ugh, we gotta go back there when it opens up again. But I, I am I am one thing that should be noted is that Pratchett was his entire life a huge fucking nerd. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> no, a really? Huge dork of every sort. Well, uh, yeah, we like, mentioned this in the chat room ahead of time that you know, he was on Usenet a lot. Yeah, he. Yeah. Not only is he on, was he on Usenet a lot. It's apparently like a primary source for like a lot of his work. Yeah, that that he was the most accessible through there for a very long time. I mean, we're we're starting to stray into stuff that's actually in my wheelhouse. The the dude was just always on the news groups. Oh hell yeah. He he was like he was just a huge nerd and of a very I I don't know how to say this a very normal type just like. He liked playing video games and D&D and shit. Yeah, like he loved very... Oblivion. Yeah, ground type he... Yeah, one of the what that that's something like uh I won't talk about it on this episode cuz there it doesn't really relate, but uh there's a really interesting article about how one of the last things that he was involved with before he died was an Oblivion mod uh, cuz he loved it a lot. It's a it's a Eurogamer article. I recommend looking it up. It's really really interesting and good. Yeah. We'll bring it up uh, when we get to the point when he's at where that actual research paid off so to speak so i can we'll put a link yeah, like two three and a half years i can put a link to it in the notes if you like yeah that sounds good That's it's a... a really good article and worth reading uh definitely talks about the mod that he ended up writing for which i don't know there's not a lot of fantasy authors who would just casually write a video game mod in their spare mm-hmm. time that's pretty cool yeah and he helped out somebody who wasn't like another famous writer she was just like i just she just wanted to make another character for the game and stuff 
which was also pretty cool. Yeah. Like, he wasn't like, I'm the big boy writer. I know what to do. He's like, I, I like your character a lot. Can I help, please? And it's like, whoa, you're <laughs> like, this is like getting a freaking call from like, you know, I don't know, like Steven Spielberg. And he's like, hey, I'm a fan of, of your book. Can I write some fanfic? And it's like, all right, sure. Yeah, can you can you imagine getting that email? Like, yeah. And, no, yeah. At first you didn't even know it's like, like, can you, because at first he didn't even know, like, it was the guy. Like, can, can you imagine the dawning on you, like, oh, that's the actual Terry Pratchett's. Yeah. What the fuck? Of the world of disc. Also, it would be weird because all of us have written some level of pornography. Yes. So it would be like, is that what you're a fan of? Oh. Steven Spielberg, did you read, did, did you read that? Stevie, uh, baby. Steve, I, Are you into Steve, my to... day job or my night job? Oh, wink, wink. Steve, I need to know before we go any farther, like. Which virus girl pornography did you read and like? <laughs> Do you need me to lean into anything in specific here? Or... No, okay, so uh, yeah. we're this is not the only time that we're going to see this particular kind of nerdery. In fact, we're going to see a lot more of this nerdery in the Unseen University in later books. That's right. So, yeah. In fact, we saw we saw kind of some of it during the Rite of Ashkente mm-hmm. because the they're talking about how you know. The traditionalist way to do everything requires all of this vast, complicated stuff that all of these huge procedures that take hours to set up normally, where you can actually perform the right with uh, three small pieces of wood and a few cc's of mouse blood. Like you don't actually need it. The experimentation shows that you're just kind of making a mess here, people. But, you know, you're still making a mess because that's the traditional way to do it. No, yeah. And if you're summoning death, you want to make it look like you're summoning him for something important. Yeah, you want some theater. You want some theater to it. You want to put some pants on before you open the door, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, You're going to see a lot of, like, young wizards at it in the Unseen University and later books. And again, this this specific thing about making fantasy computers is something that comes up multiple times throughout the series. <laughs> because yeah, it's a hell, fun idea. Yeah, hell, we, we got it a little bit in the first book where Rincewin is like, man, imagine if we could harness lightning to do cool shit. Mm-hmm. But that, like, that, that bit was, one reason that bit was strange is because it was so extremely not what you expect from Discworld. Yeah, no, like, it's... So, so much of Discworld is just like, hey, uh, here's how this fantasy universe does something that we do in real life. Yeah. Not computers are weird, but here's what it might look like. Ha ha. That's yeah. the joke. That's, and it's, so it's, having a joke yeah. that was just like, can't exist, can't be done. Isn't yeah. it stupid that anyone would think it could be done? Is very that is kind of a fun not th- oh, Discworld. Sorry. That is kind of a fun thing about Discworld in that um, it seems like, and I think there's language to this effect in the first book, if definitely in the second um like modern technology in the disc world wants to exist it like mm. it wants to be as advanced as our world like it's it's just like stuff doesn't happen in the right way there just because it's like kind of this weird magical environment but like mm-hmm. you can tell like ideas like computers keep coming up or like um like uh, different forms of taking pictures and stuff and uh, print like we'll see a book about the printing press later about money about currency about movies and music it's like it's it's this constant push like it's a parody on one level but on another level it's like it's weird to see like this very fantasy world slowly kind of edge forward and changes made 
in earlier books are referenced in later books often, which is yeah. neat. Yeah, how, how do you, it's it's a really cool, like, way to world build. It's like, okay, so they have computers, but how do they do that with the tools they have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the this is just, a, a, again, just kind of a off aside here. If you think about every single time that raw magic comes up, it keeps being described either like it's like, like lightning or it's like radiation. In most yeah. of the cases in this book, magic acts like lightning, right down to like the fact that it makes the air taste like tin, the way that it crackles across surfaces, the way that it arcs off of people's faces in a re- in really yeah. high magic areas. The way that it interacts with circuitry to make things that look like intelligence. Mm-hmm. It Again, magic is very much just like electro- electronics. And I'm, I'm not going anywhere with that. I'm just pointing it out so that people think about that when they see this stuff. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting. So, it's uh, it's raw. Um, what's the term? Like craft in a magical sense, but also in a sense of making things. Like it, it's it's energy that makes things out of less complex things, and that's how the whole system kind of holds together. Because even with raw magic, it's like making things that. Man, this is this is kind of a weed dad sort of line of reasoning. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, they call really them good. fingers, but I've never seen them thing. Like, for example, they mention that a thom, the universal unit of magic, is the amount of magical energy required to create one small white pigeon or, I'm sorry, it might be three one normal small billiard white dove, balls. or three normal-sized billiard balls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that unit will come up here and there. That exact definition will come up here and there because it's just a foundational point. And like you said, it's just creating something out of not something. Yeah, or creating complex things out of more simple things. Like, yeah, But you said... Yeah, but you know, I'm. I was going to say it's not magic, but, but you know, there's still this sort of law of equivalent exchange going on where, like, if you want to make those three billiard balls, you have to like spend some nights like cramming spells into your head. Otherwise, your your brain will fly out your ears. Mm-hmm. I don't. Magic doesn't tend to get treated quite as vancian as it was in the color of magic there's a lot of just just actual thaumaturgy of just applying magical principles outside of spells mm-hmm. like when they were during the bit where the octavo was doing the big retcon the chancellor just sort of points at the top of the of the big tower in the unseen university grabs a stone with magic and hurls it down to the ground and it, it just exchanges momentum of the two and sends him yeah, flying he, up like an elevator. Yeah. yeah he uses like a magical counterweight. That was really good. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there are some things that are kind of like essentially cantrips, which are like little easier things that wizards can just kind of do, but other more complex stuff seems like it. You still have to like put personally, in the work to learn it and stuff. Yeah. yeah there, there personally, was... I think Pratchett was just never really that interested in magic. Like, it was never something that he really focused on having a coherent magic system. Yeah. Just kind of, it was a tool for other story bits, usually. It, That's yeah. at least my read It's on sort it. of a thing where, like, magic absolutely hates to be controlled. It mm-hmm. does, it wants to do, it wants to go out and make stuff, but it doesn't want anybody telling it what to make. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not a reliable thing for anything you you cannot count on it you can only count on it doing things but that's not really useful on a global scale if you can't control what those things are yeah and and it it also yeah much like electricity or a computer or radiation it may do what you tell it to it may 
It may, in fact, like, go down the channel you make for it, but that doesn't mean it will do what you want it to do. It, it's very much, in, in my opinion at least, it's very much more magic in service of here's the story we want to tell and here's the themes in it and here's what we're doing with it than like here's a coherent magic system for our world yeah. that you can understand it's just kind of magic is a part of what he does thematically story-wise how he tells stories mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i find it interesting i enjoy the approach mm-hmm mm -hmm. So they go, the the druids try and do a thing. We should we should do, actually, not to go on another aside, but we should do an aside about Two Flower and the tourist thing. Because yeah. it's even more so here, and they just kind of completely ignore that he's from fantasy China. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He is definitely speaking more Porkian or common yeah, or that, whatever the yeah, common tongue is. That he's whole still... thread is like gone until like the last two pages of the book where he's like, oh, well, I gotta go back home now. And it's like, oh, right. You're, you're not from around here, are you? Yeah. The book does explicitly yeah. call him a tourist in this one. And there's also some... There is like a one more joke where it's like Two Flower attempted to communicate with the guy by speaking his own language louder and more clearly, which implies he doesn't speak the same language as, as everyone else. But again, he I talked mean, with like the gnome just fine. He I, talked with the gnome fine enough to like have a weird conversation about why aren't you wearing a red hat? Because I get eaten by a squirrel if I wore a red hat, dipshit. Like, I, I guess it to his credit, it was established that six months have passed since the first moment of the color of magic he's yeah. been in he's been on this on this continent for six months yeah yeah it's, but they forget they forgot it in the first book oh too. yeah no they, they yeah, yeah they forgot it as soon as they with, left more pork he's been with he has been with rincewind long enough for the big dick spell inside his head to save his life 27 times <laughs> That was that was a good joke. Yeah, yeah which, it makes sense. Like Two Flowers, an actuary. It's it's kind of his job. More pressingly, Two Flowers' job is to look at things. Yeah, and it also it also points out that Two Flower has been paying attention to the fact that Rincewind has been risking his life over and over. Or Rincewind has seen his life in danger twenty seven times. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it probably gets up to an even thirty by the end of the book. Oh, most yeah. likely, yeah. Yeah, no. I think I think it's just kind of like Pratchett definitely wanted to do like here is the stereotypical tourist character and like it just you can't keep doing the racist no. bit over no. and over again forever. Yeah. It's not funny or entertaining or a good bit. Hey, I will say this book is significantly less racist than the 1983 yeah. Color of Magic. I, I do think yeah. someone, either someone sat him down, or he perhaps realized of his own accord, someone probably sat him down and said, Buddy, you can't do this shit. You see this? You can't do this. Yeah, I think that yeah, uh, it's... somebody did that, and somebody also did had some sort of conversation where it was like, Okay, you, like, this, uh, this Princess of Wormberg character, I mean, she's pretty cool, but uh, you need to write, like, an actual female character at some point, Terry. Uh... <laughs> Which is how we got need to... Beth in later, which we will get into shortly. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, yeah, that's just, just right now, in fact. Oh, good, right now, yes. Oh, that's yeah, right, yeah. right yeah. that point she's in the story. She's about to be Yeah, she's a... Yeah. Uh, yeah, the druids are going to sacrifice She's her. a virgin sacrifice. She spent her uh, Saturday nights alone for the past 17 years just for this moment. Um, but it all goes haywire because... Uh, um, Two Flower just decides he can talk people out of it because yeah. of course. 
I'm I sure mean, if you just talk before. to people, it'll be fine. I mean, he did at least manage to escape getting sacrificed with Two Flower. Mm-hmm. Though he didn't really talk his way out of that one. Yeah. Um, this is also where Cohen the Barbarian shows up, too, if yeah. I believe so. Cohen the Barbarian. Who is basically pretty- like... This is, it's like, it's like Terry took a look at Hrun from the last book and was like, okay, that wasn't exactly very funny. How could I make this funnier? What if we took Conan the Barbarian and made him old? Like, really old. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to be honest, I liked Kohan a lot more than I liked Hrun. Oh, because, same, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Oh, He's yeah, so much Kohan was, like, genuinely funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cohen is, I mean, he is somebody who's been doing this for 50 plus years, or probably more like 60 or 70 years at this point. I, I think he's, uh, yeah, he's in he's his 80. 80s. Yeah, he's I, an octogenarian. Yeah, I, though I'm willing to believe he spent 60 to 70 years being a hero. And yeah, he he's still a hero. He's still good at what he does. It's just that, you know, he's very old and his body is not really what it used to be. Yeah, he mm-hmm. doesn't have teeth anymore. Yeah, it's great because and, he goes into like, you see more of that Pratchettian like, uh, like building something up and then immediately tearing it down where like there's that the whole like what is good in life bit ripped off from uh, Conan the Barbarian in the movie except yeah. uh, he's in like a tent with a bunch of other like uh, Dudes or, trying or to show of off their nomads and yeah, barbarians. They're trying yeah. to show off their step cred, essentially. And yeah, then yeah, when, it, yeah, when the circle comes Grace around, that one earlier. Yeah, when the circle comes around to him, and they're like, "What is good in life?" And he's like, "Yo, hot running water and a bathroom that works." And it's like, "Oh <laughs> yeah, though. I'll bet though. Like spending yeah. your whole life out on the road. I'll bet it's great because it's." It shows that he has actual experience, like, doing this for a living for years instead of just, like, trying to look like a badass. He has nothing else to prove. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Rod was still in the height of his career, as it were. Like, mm-hmm. his his biggest actual trait was the fact that he's incredibly vain. I mean, he did have, Rod had those moments of, you know, this life kind of sucks, maybe I should settle down, when he, you know, at the Wormberg. Mm-hmm. But Cohen actually acts on this. Yeah, in fact, like, Run had tried to settle down several times. There was a whole bit where, like, every every time I try to get married, my, you know, A, I get bored, and B, my wife my wife doesn't like it when I go try and rescue other maidens. I, 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 I liked Cohen a lot. I liked yeah. the bit. I liked the end reveal that we'll get to in a bit. We should, we should probably continue so we can get to the other Cohen bits that made him more entertaining. Hey, folks. Uh, we just took a quick break there and decided to, uh convene as a group and decide that we had too much to talk about for just one episode so uh this is going to be the end of part one of our uh discussion of the light fantastic uh we're going to be releasing the next episode in uh two weeks uh so get ready for that set your calendars um activate your smart watches or something like that uh as stated before if anyone if if anyone actually sets their calendars for this, I want to see it. I want an image of your calendar set for the next release of this podcast. Circle big. That would make my day. Yeah. yeah if you're really gonna, yeah, if you're gonna fucking wait up for us, if you're gonna tie a yellow ribbon around that old oak tree for discoverers, we want to know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, before we go, I did want to read a little bit of fan mail we got. Oh uh, yeah. F A N M A I L. Wow. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it was a comment we got on our post on Mastodon on our um account on there, discpod at queer.party uh, from 
Mr. Jimmy at Mastodon.xyz. Uh, hi, Casey. Yeah, hi, Casey. Uh, Mr. Jimmy writes, just finished the episode. It was a blast. I laughed a lot. Thanks so much. When y'all pointed out how much it seemed like it was a treatment for a TV series, it gave me a bit of deja vu because my partner and I just finished reading Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere Together, which was actually a TV show before it was adapted into a book and comic and several radio plays. And reading it with that knowledge, it's very hard not to notice the hallmarks of a TV script in the text. Hearing your assessment that TCOM maybe had similar intentions or origins, and knowing that Douglas Adams also had his work adapted across a lot of different media, do y'all think it's just the providence of the British genre satirists to not understand what medium they work best in? Or do you think there's a bigger trend at work? Thanks for the great show! Um, so, where does this sit in the timeline compared to the Hitchhiker's Guide radio play novel that's a BBC good series and so on i think hitchhiker's guide video was game. earlier i want to say um like if, if i think Pratchett the radio saw, i think the, Pratchett saw that and saw uh, hey i want me some of that well you know i think the radio show started in like 79 uh no yeah originally a 1978 radio comedy broadcast on bbc radio 4 it was later adopted to other formats, including stage shows, novels, comic books, a 1981 TV series, a 1984 video game, and a 2005 feature film. So it was, uh, it was, it was developed a little bit earlier than the Discworld series, which is yeah. wild to so think is, about because it feels contemporary yeah. to it. Now, yeah, it, I think I do actually want to interject there and point out the fact that Hitchhiker's Guide was a radio drama before it was a book. Yeah. yeah. And that that is important because it kind of turns that comment on its head a bit. And I'm going to I'm going to be honest. I didn't remember that fact until you read it just now. But Mm. I don't think that that's really so much that he's misunderstanding what his medium is best in, because they're really the books really worked better as books anyways there i mean there was a yeah. fairly recent color they're, of magic very adaptation. literary yeah i they think often the weird that. tangents that work best in a book i think he maybe yeah. took yeah, some i think narrative if anything cues. this episode about uh this episode about uh light fantastic has kind of illustrated that he's a good writer and he writes yeah. a good wordplay and he does that better than he does tv scripts and mm. such he just didn't do a very good job of it because it wasn't a very good book he was still stumbling around a little bit and he was imitating a lot Mm -hmm. and yeah that's that's sort of the problem there is like you'll notice that even though we had another conan pastiche it didn't drop into the literary styles of the old conan books this time it just stayed in the pratchett voice the whole the whole way through right and the book was much stronger because it didn't keep trying to ape stuff it didn't go off on weird um pop culture commentary it just kind of stayed in what we kind of think of as the discworld voice not perfectly but you know much better than the color of magic did Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah uh thank you very much for leaving your comment on our mastodon page uh mr jimmy at uh mastodon at xyz uh if you'd like us to read your fan mail live on air well, I guess not live because this is being recorded. What am I saying? <laughs> it's live I for mean, us. If you'd, like us, to, if you'd yeah. like us to read your fan mail live on air first, live on air first, promote us so that we become a huge podcast. Yes. Then eventually we'll do a live on air episode on Twitch or stage or at some fucking Comic Con yeah. or something. You know what? I have and my. Then send us a fan mail. You know what? I have my fucking amateur radio equipment. If you send us, 
If you, like, send us fan mail, I can, like, get on that and read it to no one in particular. Yeah, read it over ham radio for all of you ham yeah, so radio say, enthusiasts. Th- thankfully, Princess Grace does not shirk any opportunity to go ham. <laughs> oh, my uh. God. But, um, yeah, you can actually hit us up at that account on Mastodon. Again, that's discpod at queer.party. We also have a Twitter, uh, which is uh, at discpod. Surprisingly, we got that. I'm as shocked as you are. Uh, and we have an email for longer messages. Uh, it's disc, D-I-S-C, at hypnovir.us. That's H-Y-P-N-O-V-I-R dot U-S. Uh, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but yeah, so uh, quick outro. Again, my name is Iris J. You can find me at uh, irisj.comics at Twitter or uh, irisjcomics at mass. Mastodon.social on Mastodon. Um, I also recently just did a episode of Tight Pants along with Grace and somebody who definitely isn't this June. Um, yeah, definitely a different June. Definitely right, not me. Which is, I have nothing to do with the Home Star Runner sex yes. podcast. So I, I guessed on an episode of that recently, we talked about how the cheat has sex. It's really good. And I really think you should listen to it, though not over speakers at work because... It is explicit. Very much it's so. It's a good fucking podcast, though. Yes, it is. If it's... you do work somewhere that lets you listen to that sort of thing on speakers at work, could you let me know? Because, you know, it seems a lot more fun than where I'm working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah your workplace seems cool, fictional person. Um, but yeah. Any of y'all want to plug where you're located on the old interwebs? Yeah. Remember right. when people I, said uh... interwebs? Wasn't that just fun? Oh, I love the intertubes. Um I'm the Internet's beloved Princess Grace. You can find my writing as well as my podcast posts and programs and everything else that's fit to plug at princess.software, including links to uh, Tight Tight Pants, the Homestar Runner sex podcast, and more. Nice. I am still Bolina. Eventually I will feel more a little bit less like an imposter while I'm listening to all y'all plug all your all your cool projects. Uh, you can find me Twitter at WolfCow with cow spelled C-A-U. Or Belina at cyber cyber dot space where cyber is spelled c y b r e I guess cyber space yeah the British way cyber dot spacey <laughs> yeah don't except all like all of our remotes still say cyber not cyber day <laughs> so what whatever it's mastodon everything's supposed to be a little bit weird because if it was properly accessible then it might accidentally catch on <laughs> forget it Jake it's mastodon. <laughs> Any, anyways, yeah, I'll, I'll try to be a little bit more forthcoming when we record the next episode. Mm-hmm. I'm Junebug. I've never done anything of note, especially not a Homestar Runner sex podcast. <laughs> you can find me here uh, on this podcast uh, and nowhere else online. Absolutely nowhere. Don't try and find me. If you like uh, June, good news. You can find her on this podcast you're listening to yeah, right now. Yeah. If you like June. You can only find me here. Though. If you like June, good news. You have good taste. Congratulations. <laughs> you too. Hell yeah. Congratulations on liking June. But yeah. You're in good company. Until next time, uh, thanks for listening and catch us in two weeks for the continuation of our discussion on The Light Fantastic, including our all important ranking for this book that's right just a reminder we are ranking all of the novels time to find out if it's better or worse than the color of magic i already have a suspicion what the answer is going to be but tune in just to find out have a good night flip a coin i'm gonna flip a coin to make my decision just to fuck with everyone
damn it. <laughs> Gotta have the contrarian in the group. All right. Uh, see you next time, folks. I gotta come up with a Bye. little sign out noise. Uh, sound. Do you want to do like saying. a truly we were the discovery? No, we can't do that no, for no, every no. podcast. <laughs> That's what you do it for two podcasts. More, more importantly, we're not done with this one yet. Yeah. Okay. Oh, true. Till next time. And see.